I'm John. And I'm John. We're classically trained conductors who are also working theater music directors. Each week, we'll tell you a little bit about shows we enjoy and why you should check them out if you haven't yet. This is Musical Minutes with John and John. Hello, John. Hi, John. How are you today? You know what? I'm doing pretty well. We're getting towards the end of the season now. That's crazy. It's getting cold, I'm sure, or at least I'm sure it will be cold by the time this premieres, because right now it's August and it's hot, but it's not August when you're listening to this, wink, wink. I've decided this is going to be a running joke. I was posting on Facebook the other day because I also like to pimp out our episodes on my own personal Facebook page because then my friends know to go listen to it and bump our numbers enough so I don't feel like we're just shouting into the, you know, into the void. And on the other um, hand, I prefer to just scream into the void. You do. and But you do it well. Anyway, so I, I remember... So we're recording this yesterday, uh, the Mean Girls episode came out, and I remember commenting on Facebook to the effect of, through the magic of podcasting, we recorded this about, you know, several weeks before it's premiered. And since then, I've actually seen the show, even though on the episode you're about to hear, you're going to hear me say, I've never seen this show in person. And maybe that's a running joke. So no, I've decided this is now going to be a running joke. There will be many references to the future and the past, and there will be many wink winks. And I've just made the joke meta. Time is an illusion. What are we talking about today? Today, we are talking about the 1966 musical, The Apple Tree, with music by Jerry Bach, lyrics by Sheldon Harnick, and a book by Jerry Bach and Sheldon Harnick with additional material by Jerome Coopersmith. The show is based on The Diary of Adam and Eve by Mark Twain, The Lady or the Tiger by Frank R. Stockton, and Passionella by Jules Pfeiffer. The Apple Tree opened on October 18, 1966 at the Schubert Theater and closed on November 25, 1967 after playing for 463 performances. The Apple Tree was directed by Mike Nichols with music direction by Elliot Lawrence and choreography by Lee Theodore. The original cast included Alan Alda as Adam, Captain Sanjar, and Flit, the Prince Charming, Barbara Harris as Eve, Princess Barbara, and Ella and Passionella, and Larry Blyden as the Snake, the Balladeer, and the Narrator. The Apple Tree was nominated for seven Tony Awards and won only one Best Actress in a Musical for Barbara Harris. Part 1. The Diary of Adam and Eve. Adam awakes to find that he is required to name all of the animals, which he begins to do poorly. He is enjoying being the only man on Earth when suddenly he meets a long-haired creature named Eve. Eve is also enjoying her time in the Garden of Eden. She takes over the naming of animals, doing so with much more detail, which annoys Adam. Adam is hurt when he realizes Eve thinks she is superior to him. Eve doesn't think that Adam appreciates her. Nevertheless, Eve begins to develop feelings for Adam. Adam builds a shelter for himself, but when he sees Eve sitting out in the rain, he invites her in. She immediately begins to redecorate, which annoys him, but he is also beginning to develop feelings for Eve. After another fight, 
Eve decides to go visit the pond where she talks with her reflection, who she thinks is someone just like her. At the pond, she meets the snake. The snake seems to know everything, and they convince Eve that she could know everything too, if she eats the forbidden fruit. She does so, and both Adam and Eve are cast out of Eden. Exiled from the garden, the two need each other more than ever before. Eve has their first child, which Adam struggles to understand. Soon, the couple has another child. Their boys, Cain and Abel, grow up as Eve reflects upon her life. After Cain kills Abel, Eve tells Adam that she wants them to die together or for her to die first because she needs him more than he needs her, a fact Adam protests. Eve dies, and Adam, who never cared much for Eve's flowers, begins to tend her garden. Part 2. The Lady or the Tiger In a barbaric kingdom, we meet a balladeer who tells the next tale. We are introduced to King Eric and his daughter, Princess Barbara, who are at a great banquet. We next see a traditional trial. A prisoner is placed in a room with two doors. Behind one door is a beautiful lady who the prisoner will have to marry if they pick that door. Behind the other, a vicious tiger. After the trial, Captain Sanjar returns, victorious, from a long battle. Sanjar collapses, exhausted, while the king and his court go off to celebrate the victory. The slave Najira stays behind to comfort Sanjar, but she is ordered to leave when Princess Barbera returns to check on Captain Sanjar. We learn that Barbara and Sanjar are in love. A forbidden love. The two discuss running away, but decide their place is where they are. As they share a kiss, the king walks in and discovers them. King Eric sentences Sanjar to the traditional trial, horrifying the princess. She goes to seek out the royal tiger keeper to learn which door the tiger will be behind. She learns which door the tiger will be kept behind, but as she is going to find Sanjar, she sees Najira being led to the trial. Princess Barbara realizes that if Sanjar doesn't choose the tiger, he will choose Najira and be forced to marry her. At the trial, Sanjar begs Barbara to tell him which door to choose. Barbara hesitates, but points to a door. The balladeer sings a song about jealousy, and it is not revealed to the audience which door Barbara chooses for Sanjar. Part the Third, Passionella. Another narrator introduces us to the chimney sweep Ella, who dreams of being famous. One day, Ella comes home to discover her TV isn't working. Suddenly, her friendly neighborhood godmother the narrator, appears and grants her one wish. Ella becomes gorgeous, transforming into Passionella. But, as is often the way with these things, she can only be Passionella between 7 p.m. and 4 a.m. As Passionella, a producer signs her to a lifetime contract and she is instantly a star. Men want her and women want to be her. Ella knows exactly how they feel, but she is still sad because she doesn't have love. She meets the famous singer-slash-hippie, Flip, and immediately falls in love with him. Flip, however, rejects Passionella, telling her she isn't real. 
This prompts Passionella to go to her producer and demand that her next role be as a chimney sweep. The producer agrees, and Passionella wins an Academy Award for her work in this role. Flip is there to present the award to Passionella, and he realizes he is in love with her and proposes marriage. The couple spend a passionate night together in front of the TV, but they lose track of time. Suddenly, it's after 4 a.m., and Passionella is no longer Passionella. But Flip isn't Flip anymore either. He is the nerdy George L. Brown. As George and Ella get to know each other's true selves, they reaffirm their love and live happily ever after. So this is one of those shows that I put on the list because it's a show that I really like. But it is not a perfect show. In fact, it it, it has some serious flaws. If it wasn't clear from our discussion in the rundown, this show consists of three self-contained little sort of vignettes. It's three little mini musicals that all go one after the other, but they're completely unrelated in terms of their story. What ties them together is the, the use of the same actors, but also there are these little themes like, well, love is sort of a consistent theme, but also like certain colors are referenced frequently and they're just aspects of these shows that run through each other to create kind of a unified sense of concept. But they are distinct shows. Each one occurs in a distinct time period and sort of with its own unique setting going back from, you know, the Garden of Eden all the way to a more contemporary time where people are watching TV and going to the Oscars. So this show is challenging because that idea of producing a show that's really three shows that don't have too much to do with each other is tough to sell. Well, I would quibble with you on one point. I feel like there is also this unification in the idea of choice. Each story has this aspect of its characters choosing something, whether it's choosing to be together and then choosing to honor kind of the memory of a loved one in the first story, in the second story, it's a literal choice. And I love the fact that, and I remember reading Lady or the Tiger in middle school. And the story ends with the prince making a choice. And you don't know what door he opens. You, the, the, it becomes almost like um, uh, a thought experiment. Well, what door did he end up choosing? What door does the princess tell him to choose? And all that. And then in the last story, you have this concept of choosing to be something different, something more, this yearning to choose a different life for each other and, and the consequences of that. So there, honestly, there's a lot here that do connect it. It does very much come off as an anthology type structure. I think if you were to say, oh, we're doing a 30 minute play slash musical festival and somehow we have gotten the permission of the the Bach and Harnick estate to do just the Lady or the Tiger section or just the Passionella section you could get away with it and your audiences wouldn't be any less for it because they are self-contained in that way I do I do however really think there is an overarching 
unification to it that kind of reinforces each other and makes it a little bit more more of an evening for lack of a better term i mean certainly it was conceived to be a show so it 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 does definitely work as a show it's interesting recently i've talked a lot about um musicals that have um soundtracks that either feel cohesive or feel not that cast albums hmm cast albums not soundtracks well, I'm talking about the scores, like the music itself, <laughs> not the album there, that was There are produced. people sitting in, there are people in their homes right now cursing your name and eagerly pulling out a piece of paper and a quill to write you a sternly worded missive about using the term soundtrack and cast album interconnectedly. Continue. But, but I don't, I don't mean them interconnectedly. <laughs> I mean the soundtrack. I mean the scoring of the piece that is not cohesive. Like when we talked about Mean Girls, I said it was kind of musically all over the place versus when we talked about the prom, I said that felt like a much more unified musical language. That's what I'm talking about here. I'm not talking about the recording. Anyway, doesn't matter. I'll let this go. I'll let it go. The point that I'm trying to make is that because this is one show with three shows in it, there are actually three very distinct musical languages. Now they do reference each other here and there in that effort to tie things together. In particular, the very first thing you hear is the very last thing you hear in the show, um, which is a beautiful song. It's the, the, the lullaby, go to sleep, whatever you are from the diary of Adam and Eve. And it's just absolutely gorgeous. But the diary of Adam and Eve has its sound. Uh, the, Lady or the Tiger has its own very distinct sound and Passionella mm-hmm. has its own yet third sound. And while it's all Bach and Harnick, it's distinct musically in a way that if it weren't three things, I would be super critical of and very annoyed by. But because it has those different sections, it's actually helpful to define where, when, what we are. I agree. And it's actually fascinating to me because... As much as I enjoy the music of Jerry Bach, I don't feel like he's particularly well known for his eclectic styles. And the fact that he rather convincingly in this show pulls off three interconnected musically, but still distinct in their own way styles is actually a really strong testament to his work. And not something that is like like i said not something that at first glance is what you say about jerry bach yeah and on top of that i think some of their very best music comes from this show i mean certainly if we were to do a best bach and harnick song episode i would be pulling it's a fish and uh, go to sleep whatever you are Oh yeah, and two contenders. It would also be a fairly short episode because it's not like they have a massive body of work. Well, we got this. We got Fiorello. We've got Fiddler on the Roof. We got She Loves Me. There would be some steep competition between those four shows. I'm sure I'm forgetting something. Four, four shows, four, four shows. Okay. I'm just I I'm just saying that you know it's it's not like they are not the the Franz Josef Haydn of musical theater. They did not well, write a that's billion fair. shows. So that's fine. So w- way to kill my joke, John. Thank you. Pre- pre- appreciate that. That's what I'm here for, John. I'm trying to bring everything down. One of the things that really sticks out to me 
in listening to this cast album are the performances of both Barbara Harris and Alan Alda, which ultimately make the show. It's a weird situation because I feel like this show is, in my mind, it is in this category of what I like to think of as very dangerous shows with a capital V, a D, and an S. Shows that on their surface are good, but they're good in the right situation with the right people. And if you don't have those people, if you don't have that situation, this show can be brutally painful to sit through. I have sat through productions of The Apple Tree that were brutally, excruciatingly painful because what ended up happening is is the actors tried to copy for lack of a better term, Alan Alda and Barbara Harris. And the problem is, is that you can't, you can't copy their styles. You have to bring a charisma. You have to bring a stage presence to it to make this material work. And Alan Alda and Barbara Harris do this in their own way. In the case of Alan Alda, I would argue in his own very unique way. I can't think of another actor that I would say works in this style, but you can't copy them. You have to bring your own strength to this. And the show falls apart without this semblance of strength. I mean, in this, this, like I said, this show being the very dangerous show, it's this, it's Sweet Charity, it's Guys and Dolls, it's Promises, Promises. These shows that premiered in the late 50s and into the early, early to mid 60s that are all about characterization, that are all about the music and how the character presents that music, and, you know, just the skill in which they do so. I, like you, I really do enjoy the show. I really actually like the show a lot, but if you're not going to do it right, you can't do it, because if you do it and you do it poorly, it's worse than not doing it at all. I, I fully agree. I just want to tack onto that just to to throw more laurels at uh, Mr. Alda and Ms. Harris. They play three different people in each little vignette. And in fact, in Passionella, they both have two people on top of that. And they sound like completely different characters, even in just listening to the cast album. Like in Diary and Adam and Eve, Alan Alda sounds kind of like what I imagine Alan Alda sound, sounded like. When he turns into Captain Sanjar, it's almost unrecognizable. And it's really just a, a, a very strong testament to the acting and the performance that these two individuals gave for this show. It's it's really remarkable and not to be taken on lightly. No, and and I mean, I would be remiss if I didn't talk, you know, for 30 seconds about how Alan Alda is my wife's, like, theater crush and she is in absolutely in love with the man it's funny because as much as he is known for his tv work his movie work and such some of the best stuff i have seen of his is theater work you've got apple tree uh both olivia and i were very fortunate god 10 15 years ago now i'd have to look it up um in one of the most recent revivals of glengarry glenn ross to see alan alda play in that and the man's charisma 
And just the, the skill he exudes when he's on stage is, is shocking, you know? And it's funny because we talk about the charisma and, and the presence of some of, you know, today's actors and, and people are like, well, we're in the golden age of acting because, you know, we've never, and it's like, no, that's bullshit. We have seen actors like this before. Alan Alda is one of those actors. And I feel he's one of the people who probably we should be paying a bit more attention to in, in his body of work. It, this, it just being part of it, it's just, it's stunning. It's masterful. So to that end, if you haven't heard The Apple Tree before, you should check it out because there's some truly great music in this show. Again, it's not a fish and go to sleep, whatever you are, uh, both from The Diary of Madam and Eve. Go listen to the original Broadway cast album. It is readily available and it is just great. Well, that should just about do it for this episode. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can drop us a line at musicalminutespodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Facebook at Musical Minutes with John and John or on Twitter at Musical Mins Pod. That's Musical M-I-N-S Pod. Intro and outro music, Bebop 25, is provided under the Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 International License by Jason Shaw on audionautics.com. Thank you for joining us. I'm John. And I'm John. And we'll see you next time.